excited to continue our mini-series within the book of 1 Samuel, the mini-series that we're calling Three Close Calls. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about two of those close calls, when David had the opportunity to kill King Saul and become king, but he didn't do it because he entrusted himself to God and he was allowing God to work in his timing. Today we're going to look at David face an even greater enemy, a greater enemy than Saul, a greater enemy than even Goliath, and that enemy is himself. You see, in today's account, David is going to face a man named Nabal. David and his men have been out in the fields protecting Nabal's sheep and Nabal's goats. Nabal was a very rich man and had a lot of possessions. And it came time that David and his 600 men, his 600 followers, had, had some need. And so he came to Nabal and said, we've, we've helped you for so long. And now I'm wondering if you could share some of what you have with us. And Nabal basically disregards him disrespects him, disregards him, and leaves him, uh, leaves him without anything. Well, when David gets word back that that's Nabal's response, he says, men, strap on your swords. There's gonna be blood tonight. And he takes his 400 of his men, and he takes them down to Nabal's plantation. Before he gets there, Nabal's wife, Abigail, beautiful and wise, meets David and appeals to David and says, David, think about what you're going to do here. Think about the consequences of taking this situation into your own hands. David wisely listens. He blesses Abigail. Abigail goes back and she, she tells Nabal what happened, that, that she averted a very bad destruction coming upon their household. Basically, Nabal has a heart attack and he dies. And then David takes Abigail for his wife. But as we we're going to see today, there are things in this passage that you and I need to look at very closely because it really speaks to us. We are somebody in this passage, all of us. Every one of us is someone in this passage. So pray with me as we come to the word together. Lord, this is your word and we are your people. Would you marry the two of us? Would you make it so that your word is so much a part of our lives and our hearts that we cannot be separated? Oh Lord, speak today and help us to be teachable. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we're going to begin looking at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. And it begins with, Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him, and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So we know that Samuel, who is, has been David's mentor and, and guide through all this, he is now gone. And David is on his own. And it's significant that it says this at the beginning of this chapter. Samuel is not there to rescue him anymore. Verse two, now there was a man in Mon named, or, whose business was in Carmel. And he was a very rich man and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And then this parenthetical statement. Now the man's name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. 
So the original reader would have laughed at this point because the word Nabal literally means fool. So we don't know if his parents named him that, if they did, shame on them, that's a horrible name to give a child, or if that just became his nickname, but it certainly was indicative of his character. Nabal was an evil man. It says that he was harsh and he was evil in his dealings. Later on in verse 17, one of his servants will say that he is a worthless man, a son of Belial. And that term is the term that was used for the godless sons of Eli who, who abhorred the worship of the Lord. And so, so he is called the same thing. Basically, Nabal is unapproachable. He's unteachable, he is arrogant, he is very rich in possessions, but poor in godliness and in character. And it says he was a Calebite. Remember, every word in scripture is there for a reason. So why is this there? Well, because as a Calebite, we learn that Nabal was from the tribe of Judah. Well, David is from the tribe of Judah. So the, even the fact that Nabal was unwilling to share with David, who was a distant cousin, we, it brings up the point that, uh, that they were actually related. Now, in contrast to that, we have Abigail, described as intelligent and beautiful in appearance. Some of your versions will say she was wise or she was of good understanding, good judgment, and discerning. Basically, Abigail's wisdom is going to save the day. She will appeal to David in a way that by the end of the chapter, he is praising her not because she's beautiful. He's praising her because of her character, because of the way she acted in this situation that she averted a catastrophe. Ladies, the application is obvious here. Come to an application right away. Your attention needs to be on your inward character more than it is on your outward beauty. The Apostle Peter says it this way. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty and of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And of course, this lines right up with the, one of the themes that we, we've been seeing over and over in 1 Samuel, which is that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, on the heart. So we pick up in verse four. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in, the name, in my name. And thus you shall say, have a long life, peace be to you, and peace be on your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you, are she you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have, we missed, have you missed anything all the days we were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. You notice how, how politely and how kindly David speaks, how he refers to himself as Nabal's son, and how he calls his own men, he calls them Nabal's servants. You see, David is appealing to Nabal and saying, we have been with you. We have been a wall. We learn later on in the passage that not only were the men treating Nabal's shepherds and the sheep kindly, but they were a wall. 
around them. You can imagine shepherds out in the field would be very vulnerable to, to these attacks from, from other, other nations coming in or just raiders coming in or even animals. And David and his men were a wall of protection for Nabal. So Nabal has this opportunity to give back to David because David and his men need some supplies. And it's the time of the feast, it's a festival time, which means it's harvest time. So it's a time in the Middle East where people are naturally more generous and sharing the goodness that God has given them. David had freely provided a service to Nabal and it was Nabal's opportunity to give back. In verse nine, we remember that Nabal is a fool here. So verse nine, when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. And then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are, even, who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread, my water, my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men whose origin I don't know? Man, Nabal is pressing every anger button he can press here. It's terrible. First, he attacks David's identity. Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? He's saying, he's saying, this is a nobody, and he's the son of a nobody. I don't owe him anything. I, yeah, he was out in the field. I don't owe him anything. And he attacks David's social standing. He says, there are many runaway slaves. He's talking to the future king of Israel, the future king, the man who's been anointed king and just awaiting for the opportunity to become king when God brings it. And he says, he's just a runaway slave. And then he says, why should I give my belongings to people from who knows where? See, he's basically calling David just a fugitive with no family. Nabal is saying, I have made myself with my money. David, what do you have? Yeah, that's what I thought. You're a nobody. Oh, how foolish. How foolish Nabal is. But we need to ask an honest question. Is Nabal really obligated to give anything to David? Well, we could argue maybe that there are two reasons. Maybe because David is a distant cousin, he has some obligation. Or maybe we could say that, that uh, because David helped him, that Nabal was obligated. But I think there are two more, much more compelling reasons why Nabal should have shared what he has. Listen to what Deuteronomy 8 reminds us of. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Oh, didn't that sound just like Nabal? My bread, my water, my meat, my shearers. See, Nabal is a fool because he has forgotten God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And Nabal is like the rich fool that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 12. In fact, I'm sure Jesus had Nabal in mind when he told his disciples about the rich fool who had gathered all that he had and stored it all up in barns. And that very night, he was called to give an account to God when he died. Well, at the end of this chapter, Nabal is going to die. At this point, he's celebrating. He says the night before, he celebrated like a king. The fool celebrates like a king. And the next morning, he is going, or he's going to 
basically get a heart attack and 10 days later die and be called to account for all he had. I think it's interesting in this chapter that the fool has a party like a king and the would-be king comes to act like a fool. Nabal also ignored Deuteronomy 15.7, which says, if anyone is poor among you, your fellow Israelites, in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. You see, Nabal did owe David something. You see, his possessions weren't his. They were God's. And he had an obligation to the poor in his community. This is kind of a reminder of a sermon that we had several months ago when we were looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians. We were reminded that all of we have, everything we have is God's. You and I tend to think, okay, I'll give God his portion and then I'll save the rest. But that's not the scriptural approach. Everything we have is God's. Yes, we, we give generously to church, we give generously to missionaries, we give generously to organizations that are promoting the gospel or helping society, but the rest is not yours. The rest, what you have kept after all that giving, is still God's, and we still have an obligation to honor God with what he has given us, even though we have given him his portion. In that sermon, we talked about how the, the scriptural principle is that we are not to be reservoirs, hoarding what we have and keeping it, making sure we have all we need, but rather we're to be rivers so that as, we, as God blesses us, we bless others. And in doing that, the scripture tells us that he continues to bless us so that we may continue to bless others. That is what we talked about. That is the scriptural uh, approach to possessions. So my question is, that was about two months ago. Have you started practicing that? And if not, why not? Don't be a Nabal. Don't be like Nabal. Or to put, put it into Jesus' words, he says, you fool, you Nabal. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Oh no, I'm sorry. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now verse 12. So David's young men retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword. And David also girded his sword. And about 400 men went up to behind David while 200 stayed back with the baggage. David gathered 400 men to come against Nabal and his servants. It reminds us of Saul who gathered 3,000 men to come up against David's 600. Well, let's talk about anger for a minute. Anger, anger is common. David was experiencing anger. Anger can be physically violent, it can be verbally abusive, it can be controlling, sarcastic, quiet and seething, it can be vengeful, it can be bitter. Anger is simply emotional energy. That's what it is. Anger is emotional energy that we experience when we see or we feel hurt, or pain or violation. It's not sinful in and of itself. We're given anger to motivate us and move us to resolve the problem. But it's when anger becomes 
unbridled, that it becomes a problem. So an example would be the, the 125 featherweight guy who's walking down the city street and he sees a 250, man, uh, a 250 pound man abusing a woman. And that, that 125 pound guy goes in and he steps in to protect the woman. That's anger in him leading to resolving a problem. We see this when Jesus gets angry over the abuse of worship in the temple. We see this when the prophet Nathan comes to David later on in David's life and says, David, there's, there's a man, a very wealthy man who has a lot of sheep and he didn't wanna give his sheep to a visitor so he took the one little poor lamb that an, a, one of your poor neighbors had and he stole that lamb and killed it and gave it. And David's anger burned against that man. It turns out that man was him. And it was a, a metaphor for something that he had done. Anger. Anger. Let's look at how, uh, what happens here. You see, the problem with anger is that we have to manage it. But most of the time, it's managing us, isn't it? And we're going to see this in the passage today. It starts out where David's pride is hurt. Nabal insults his pride. And so David begins to exalt himself. He said, this guy just cut me down to size. I'm gonna show him who's bigger. And that's what we do. We start to exalt ourselves. We begin posturing. We are hurt and we posture. We, we, we show our strength because we wanna cover our wounds. We don't want anybody to see our wounds. So we start showing off our strength. And then in doing that, we feel impenetrable. No one's gonna hurt me. No one gets to talk to me that way. And we refuse to be hurt. And then we have to keep that going because if we don't keep it going, it's an admission that our anger could possibly be wrong. Notice that David then moves into entitlement. Verse 21, it says, Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. David is still ranting and raving. Notice that this is a bunch of verses later. He had already traveled from where he was over to where Nabal was, and he's still ranting and raving. He's still going on. Time has passed. Can I remind you that this is David? This is, this is the harp playing David, the David who writes beautiful songs about worshiping God. This is David who all the women love because he's so sensitive to them. He's got an anger issue. He does. And you know, this inconsistency we see is, is so much like us too. I can't tell you how many times I'll have a spouse come to me and say, oh, my wife has been a, been, been a Cruella de Vil for three days. She's not usually like this. Or, you know, my husband's usually so sweet and he's just been miserable now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all inconsistent. Every one of us is. And the fact that David is inconsistent doesn't give us an excuse what it does is it highlights the fact that we're just like him, and he is just like us. The fact that David is still going on about, his, about his, uh, the abuse that he received shows us that he has given a foothold to Satan in his heart. Remember, David just came off a, a morally glorious moment when he allowed King Saul to escape his sword. 
And here's David, a fool insults him, and now he's ready to kill all the men in his household. This inconsistency, but it's so us, isn't it? Like, we can be so patient with, with somebody, but man, my wife says something and forget it. Our kids say something and forget it. That's just how we are. We're inconsistent. You know, David was correct. I mean, Nabal owed him. David had a right in this situation. But the problem was that his worst enemy, his own anger, began to take control. So I just want to look very quickly at some biblical biblical teaching about anger. Let's just hear these. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It's saying don't let anger hold. Get rid of your anger. Deal with it quickly. Next, God is a righteous judge and the God who feels indignation every day. You see, God can be angry for us. What David should have done is said, God, just like I entrusted myself to you with Saul, I'm gonna entrust myself to you with this latest abuse by Nabal. God can be angry for us because he's the righteous judge. We don't judge right. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly or foolishness. Next. A man's wisdom makes him slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Overlook an offense. Next. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of nables, of fools. Now the work of the fl- works of the flesh are evident, and then it lists many things that you expect to see there, including fits of anger. Fits of anger. Anger out of control is a working of the flesh. Many of us say, oh, I have an anger problem. But we say that like it's an excuse. I have a real problem with patience, like somehow we're exempt from God's standard. We're not. God's standard is God's standard. Whether you have an issue with anger or an issue with patience or not, God has a standard, and that is that anger should not control you. I wanna share a time that I was a fool. I, uh, I had come to church to prayer meeting, not here, it was another church, come to church with prayer meeting with my son, who was entering his teenage years and started to, to feel a little doubtful of whether or not this whole Jesus thing was for him. Uh, but he came with me to prayer meeting and we got there, we were, we were early, there were two other cars there, and so I walked into my office and my son walked into the sanctuary but he wasn't seen by the two men that were standing there gossiping and slandering other people. My son came back in the office and told me, and my anger started to burn. I thought, here is my son. He's this close to falling off, and these men had the opportunity to encourage him, and instead, he got to see, he got to hear their sinful words. Well, I was so angry, I couldn't even go to prayer meeting. I sat in my office stewing, and I was just like David. The more I'm stewing, the more I'm making myself righteous, the more I'm thinking they're horrible, I can't believe they did that. After a prayer meeting, I met them in the hallway, and I asked them to come into my office. I was very angry to them. A Couple of days later, the Lord really convicted me. And I went individually and apologized to each one, but you know that one of those men never came back to church. He left the church because of my folly. Now, that was his responsibility. I get that. I get that. But still, the the inciting incident 
was my anger. And I learned a lesson there, and I promised the Lord, Lord, from now on, I will not speak to somebody else unless I can speak to you. See, I couldn't even pray. I couldn't worship. I was so angry. I was stewing. And I've made a commitment to myself that I'm not going to speak until I can talk to the Lord about it. Oh, how many times we blurt things out, right? If we would just take time and pray and go to the Lord with these things, ask the Lord to get control of our anger, it would make such a difference in the way we we relate to one another. Abigail saves the day. She comes in, she talks to David, and and I'm just going to, we're just about out of time, and I wanna quickly go through the wisdom that Abigail had. First of all, we see that Abigail, wisdom listens. Wisdom listens. Better a poor but wise youth than an old foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. Abigail was wise because she heeded the warning that came to her. She was wise because she adjusted her reaction. Wisdom adjusts our reactions. She says, David said to her, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been uh, left in left to Nabal until morning light as much as one male. So she went, moved quickly to David, but at the end of the story, when she goes to tell Nabal, she decides she's going to wait because Nabal is drunk, and so she waits till the, the next morning. She had wisdom to adjust her reactions. She had wisdom to know, wisdom knows God. Hear what she says to David in knowing God. She says, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord, here the little L is, is um, so Beth, you can see I jumped ahead a little bit to wisdom knows God, okay? Um, and, and here Abigail is talking to David and she says, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord, David, an enduring house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil will not be found in you all the days of your life. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, he will sling out from the hollow of his sling. You get the reference to the sling, you know what she's referring to. She's reminding David, David, God used your sling for Goliath. Why are you doing this? Why are you wielding your sword now? God took care of you then. He's been taking care of you with Saul over and over and over. He's gonna take care of you now. So wisdom knows God and knows how to bring God into this. And then wisdom is not short-sighted. She says to him, and when the Lord does for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals with well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. You know, what's so important here is that Abigail actually says to David, you will have an enduring house. Up until this point, David just knows he's been anointed king. This is the first prophecy, and Abigail gets to give this, the first prophecy that David will have a dynasty that will never end. 
And that happens because of Jesus Christ. Because his, David's descendant, Jesus Christ, becomes king and will be king forever and will reign on the throne forever. And she says, David, there's too much at stake here. Don't be a fool. Don't let this foolish action throw away what God has promised for you. And I don't know whether she knew it or not, but the salvation of all of humanity was at stake. And God used her wisdom to stay David, to keep him there. I'm gonna jump ahead, Beth, to wisdom is teachable. And we see this. If we are not teachable, then God's word means nothing to us. David was so teachable. You know what it said about Nabal? It said, his servant said, nobody can talk to him. Why? Because he wasn't teachable. David's response is so amazing here when he says that, that he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And he says, he says, Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been any male person left in Nabal's house. Oh, wisdom is teachable. We must be teachable. You know, Faith Community Church has many opportunities that we bring before you that we bring before you so that you would learn. Now, one of those opportunities is small groups. Next week, we'll have small group signups ready for you. We encourage you to do that. This is an opportunity for you to, to hear the word of God and discuss it with others and apply it and be praying for one another. We also have our Vine project, which is a, a project that we've put together for specific discipleship, men on when, men with men, men women with women, to disciple sm very small groups of people together. Sign-ups for that are happening even now. And I just encourage you, if you're dealing with any of these issues that we've talked about today, these are great places to receive instruction if all the instruction you're getting is a half an hour on a Sunday morning, it's not enough. Your anger is there every day, right? Our hearts are always there, always hollering out at us. But you see, we have the Holy Spirit in us who wants to apply the word of God to our hearts. So if we take the word of God in by taking advantage of these opportunities, then the Holy Spirit is able to press those into our hearts and help us with our anger, with our lack of generosity, with our foolishness. The Holy Spirit can work all of those things. You know, David gave a grace to Nabal's family by protecting them, by offering a covering for them. Nabal had the opportunity to respond and he responded like a fool. Who is this David? Abigail received the same grace from David and she responds by going to David and by apologizing for the folly of her husband and by receiving David's grace. And really, Abigail and David are us as the Lord receives receive, or offers his grace to us we are like Abigail and Nabal. We can say, who is this God? Who is this Jesus? What has he done that, that I should bother with him? Or can we respond wisely like Abigail who said, I receive your grace. 
And so this morning, that's what's before us. So I'm going to ask you to stand now. And I know Sunday school is pressing in here in a little bit, but we'll stand and I'm just going to pray as we close together. Oh Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Father, help us how we need your Holy Spirit to guide us, to press your word into our hearts. Lord, anger is such an issue for, for so many. Lord, your desire is that we would have the power to manage that and we can only do that by your Holy Spirit. And we only have your Holy Spirit when we respond to you as Abigail did and respond to you as David responded to Abigail being teachable. Oh Lord, help us. We need your word. We need your spirit. Work on us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us. We have Sunday school starting in about five minutes.